Welcome to our Thanksgiving commentary of Cool Runnings. Yeah. Or as Uncle Buck. Planes, trains, and automobile cars, right? No, I believe it's automobiles. Uh, asshole. Um, I'm Andrew Wass. Like Jessica Beale. I'm Jake Plumeri. And I'm Jake McCullough. Yeah, so today we're doing um, pretty much the only Thanksgiving movie that's widely known. So, um, yeah, no Thanksgiving commentary next year. I guess we'll do like Uncle Buck or something to fill in the void. We have two more years of Thanksgiving commentaries. We can do Freebirds next year, and we can do the original Spider-Man the year after. And then we will have to take November off for all future years. There we go. Isn't there that? Oh, that Thanks Killing movie. Oh, I don't think we need to do that one. I think that's actually a Hanukkah film. Mm. So yeah, this is the um, classic John Hughes movie. Doesn't really have any Brat Pack people in it. Well, there's Ferris Bueller's dad. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah I, I think this is always this and like Uncle Buck and the Great Outdoors are like my like favorite John Hughes movies. I go for like something more. I love the no one cares. Yeah, that's yeah, a that family favorite. That and Uncle Buck flop though. Like <clears throat> though people hated those. And Baby's Dad was my favorite movie for years. So what do I know about John Hughes out of this? Well, he wrote Flubber. Oh God, yeah. That, oh, that was another favorite. Yeah. I just cared about the movies he didn't care that much about. Yeah. Apparently, so, this the first draft of this movie was written in three days. He, wow. did, he did that a lot. Like, Home yeah. Alone was written in, like, two days. Like, that is crazy. The man is, a, like, a writing machine. So here's Steve Martin, our main character, talking. Being a jerk, as it could be described. Or a insert other Steve Martin movie title here. Looney Tunes Back in Action. I actually for years thought that was Martin Short playing the bad guy. It wasn't until high school that I rewatched. I'm like, oh, that's Steve Martin, actually. It's hard to recognize him in that one. Fair. All right, so we're less than five minutes in, and we're already talking about Looney Tunes Back in Action. <laughs> I think that, a lot of people anticipated that. I thought that was Dana Carvey and Looney. Oh, no, no, that was Steve Martin. It looks like Dana Carvey, though, right? Yeah. It's weird makeup. It's like they gave him the Dana Carvey makeup job. Now, something interesting about this scene, Kevin Bacon's cameo. Um, the year after this movie came out, um, Kevin Bacon would appear in another John Hughes movie, um, She's Having a Baby, oh. which a lot of people say, well, was this his character from that movie? And I think that's just, like, people wanting to look for stuff that's, like, not there because, okay, what is, you know, Uncle Buck also in this? Is, you know, his character also, when he's not selling shower ring curtains, does he also, like, play polka band? You know, he's like Kevin Bacon. Had him on the set. Let's just reuse him. You know, Kevin Bacon was in Footloose. My school did a musical version of Footloose. I don't know why. Who did you play? No, I, I wasn't it. I, I watched it. For a sec, I thought your whole point was just that he was in Footloose. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, that's true. It just reminded me, hey, my, my college put on a Footloose musical. They had to buy the rights to that. I how much it cost. 
Anyway, that's why that's why the TFA majors didn't go to Toronto that year. Yeah. <laughs> now, go though going back to the Kevin Bacon thing, um, where people say, "Oh, is this his character?" Later in the movie, and I'll point it out. Um, Steve Martin's wife is or wife is like falling asleep, and the TV's playing in the background, and they have a clip from that movie playing on the TV. So I want to know that this essentially establishes that having she's having a baby a, is a real movie in this universe. So that means somewhere in this universe, John Hughes exists as a writer. So and that was actually Kevin Bacon in real life. Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah, yeah. like that's Kevin Bacon playing himself, and he just really, really did not like Flatliners. This was before Flatliners. Thank you, Jake. Well, you know, can I get your facts right? <laughs> what year was it, uh, Flatliners? I think like ninety-one or something. Yeah, this was yeah. In eighty-eight, I think. Yeah, yeah. eighty-seven. It was like a jazzy soundtrack. I mean, I can't hear it because it's on mute. But, um... I know how Teller fills. Very 80s. So yeah, I did, like... I did period. a little, you know, research before this because I just wanted to find some trivia and I ended up on the Wikipedia page. And you know how they always have the production subsection? Yeah. I go there and I'm like, well, what interesting factoids can I find in the production subsection? And this was... It. All it said was most filming was done in New York and... A scene that takes place in St. Louis was filmed at Lambert International Airport in Michigan. So St. Louis. <laughs> that was it. That's all they had for trivia for this movie. There you go. Hmm. Yeah, anytime I'm flying for the holidays and I will be flying upcoming for Thanksgiving, I'm planning to edit this on my um, flight home. So if the plane crashes, I guess we'll never get to hear this. Um, but I always just think of like this happening to me, just me being delayed and like a series of just horrible fuck ups and meeting a beloved um, co comedian happening to me along the way. So I guess it would balance out. Though if I met John Candy now, I'd freak out since he's been dead for like 25 years. It's a conspiracy. He's actually alive. He's been fucking with us this whole time. Hey, Wallace, look down. No, no, with me. My fly's undone. Oh God! I wonder what would have happened to John Candy if he was, you know, if he was still around. Like, do you think he ever would have done like a Bill Murray thing and like transitioned mm, to more I serious so. roles? Because I, I could see that he was really good in JFK and like in Great Outdoors. Like, yeah, he does have a lot of Pratt balls, but he was pretty much the straight guy for that movie. He is, yeah. yeah, he's he's like a great example of a straight guy who's who's still just as funny as the, you know, as the more outlandish character, which is saying something because not it's. It's not always like that. Usually the straight guy is just the straight guy is like the anchor. But uh, Yeah, Steve Martin's very funny in this, but I wouldn't say he's like the, the funniest part. Like, yeah, in Great Outdoors, you know, Danny Aykroyd's great, but it's John Candy's movie still, definitively. Yeah. There's definitely a, like a straight man delineation here. That joke. <laughs> just really hammer it in. Also, the Canadian Mountain, that, if that's not the name of a Canadian-themed porno, it should be. And in fact, tune in next week when we all make the Canadian Mountain, starting the three of us. And then record a commentary track on it. Yeah, right at this point, uh, when we're pinning Jake over. 
And there's still more trivia on Wikipedia about that film than there is for planes, trains, <laughs> and automobiles. Well, I guess you'd play the Canadian Wasp because you're the closest to Canada. You're not Originally. That, you're not that much further. I think you might be further north than I am. We're going to put up a you map. You can pass as Canadian. I'm going to put up a map right now of New York State for where we're all from and just put dots on the map where we each are from. So you will get information for us. So now you just have to look up each of our last names in those respective towns and just start dialing numbers and asking for our parents and ask if they're proud of us. Yeah, I know what's the social security number. Let me tell you. It's 718-974. I can't say the last four. Four. Yeah. You're just going to give out something. 6932. You're just going to give out someone else's social security number now. <laughs> Wasp, your social security number has an extra number in it. (laughs) Oh no, that means I'm special. I also want to know, did people like in the 80s still wear like hats like this? He looks like a businessman of like the (laughs) 60s. Like he looks like he was just all JFK was shot. Which is appropriate because we're recording this on November 22nd, the anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. Oh. Huh. It's my dad's birthday. It's easy for me to remember. Oh, okay. Was what year was he born? 1960. So he was three years old when Kennedy was shot. Oh. Yeah, I uh, was going through old home movies that my grandmother took of like various birthdays, and she never labeled them. I was able to tell which year was 1963 because all the adults looked very sad. <laughs> but anyways, back to planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> I just love how we're watching this. Everyone looks like looks like a nightmare. Oh, do we know what that is? <laughs> that footage there? What? Superman? That was the model plane from Airplane. I was going to say, that kind of oh. looked familiar. Yeah, that was uh, the exterior in the airplane there is the same plane from the movie Airplane. Plane. Oh, there's the guy from, the old guy who was in like every like 80s and 90s um, movie ever. He was... Um, in Home Alone, he's the uh, old guy who um, Kevin's mom is trying to bargain with to get on a flight back home. He's the guy who's like, oh, that guy. oh yeah. He's got plenty of earrings, the dangly kinds. Oh, yeah, then she, like, she courses him into the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. That's how she gets her way home. So, like, do, do we explain what's pro- what the problem we're having with our version of the movie right now? How, like, no. it all looks like... It's oversaturated and grainy because there's like a connection problem with our (laughs) portable DVD player. The Wi-Fi. Um, Yeah. But it kind of makes it look like it's um, like like we're watching like the PlayStation 1 adaptation and they include like cutscenes in really poor quality on the disc that you watch in between the levels. Just like super compressed and grainy and the colors are all off. It's the only way to watch Bugs Life. I don't own the DVD. I just play the game every few months. Toy Story 2 had like half the scenes from the movie in the game. Well, that was like an incentive to buy those games. Like, I remember, like, holy shit, I get to watch Bugs Life clips, you know, months before the movie comes out. At least with like Toy Story 2, it's like temp audio. So if you, because if you play that game, it's the audio, but it's like temp audio where some of the voices are off or it's different takes or they even like, the music's different in certain scenes. I never realized that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, originally, there was a scene in between here that, um, if you watch this on TV, 
it's usually included um, to like bump it up to be the prerequisite time slot where um, Steve Martin's trying to have his dinner and like is that the Home Alone house. Um, no, it's like a block away, but I always thought it was. Um, Continue. But like he's trying to eat his meal, and like the woman behind him throws her hair over the seat, and she has comedically long hair that just splashes down with his food. So it's just Steve Martin doesn't get to eat. There's another deleted scene uh, that I read about that has never been edited into the movie, but apparently is featured in the trailer, showing John Candy in the bathroom of the first motel that he and Steve Martin are staying in. And the scene, he does, among other things, an impression of Elvis Presley in which he sings into his hairbrush. Hmm. You know, I think they should put it in because that would mean we would get more John Candy. I agree. I'd like to see that scene. I don't know if it's on the DVDs or anything like that, but I'm always fascinated by deleted scenes like that that appear in the marketing material but don't appear in the movie just because it's sort of like a a contextless look and do like more of the movie. You know? Yeah. You think John Hughes would allow that? I mean, he's dead uh-huh. now, so. Allow what? Us to watch it. He won't because he's dead. R.I.P. You know who else is dead? John Candy. JFK. Oh, that too. A lot of J's are dead from the connected to this movie. Oh, wait, wait. He just flew wait, out wait, JFK. Wait. We're about to miss Ben Stein. I like how it says destination nowhere. <laughs> I read uh I read the final days recently, you know, about the end of the Nixon administration. And like Ben Stein is, you know, obviously it's 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 nonfiction, but Ben Stein is like a supporting player at the end of that. And it's such like a, a weird juxtaposition for me where it's like Ben Stein, the speechwriter who's involved with the fall of the Nixon presidency. And I'm like, Oh yeah. And he was in planes, trains and automobiles <laughs> and fears Bueller's day off and son of the mask. And the original mask, right? Wasn't he in that one too? He's what? like, the, he, yeah, he's in the original mask. Yeah. He does the TV show. Cause I remember them saying, He's the only returning character from, like, the original movie. Like, even the dog was different. Oh, my God. There's an original mask? I thought it was just some of the mask. I thought there was a Jamie Kennedy franchise. You know, I saw that movie in theaters, Son of the Mask. Wait, can you give us a first-hand testimonial about seeing some of the mask in theaters? I just did. <laughs> it was either... <laughs> you want to know how? I was at my friend's place when it came out, 2005, I think, 2004, and like, you know, and they brought the whole family and everything, and they had like a dog, they had a sister and everything, and there, we had two choices, because of Win Dick, Win Dixie, or um, Son of the Mask, and we sure as shit wasn't going to watch Because of Win Dixie, so we chose Son of the Mask, but in hindsight, we should have gone with Because of Win Dixie. How many other people were in the theater? I think, oh God. I don't remember for sure, but maybe a few. I didn't. It, I didn't quite comprehend just just how bad that movie was. Well, or like, or its reputation. I was just like, oh yeah, we're seeing a movie, and yeah, that movie was kind of a blur. I remember sitting in the theater watching and then walking out and not really thinking much of it. But then years later, realizing this was terrible. Well, the first time I ever watched something, <laughs> I was. Um, Go on. I had like a horrible stomach flu and I uh, 
stayed up all night because I couldn't sleep, and I was just, like, laying in my family's living room watching Cartoon Network. Like, it went from Adult Swim into Cartoon Network, and that was, like, they were playing that at, like, 5 a.m., and I'm like, I don't know what's worse, the stomach flu or this movie. (laughs) Oh, fun fact. Apparently, this uh, motel recently in uh, March of this year, the new owner of it was arrested for, like, prostitution, like, rings at this hotel. So, yeah. Wait, really? Where'd you find that out? Well, that was on IMDb. You did Wikipedia. I did the true movie trivia website. But, you know, let's not get off topic here. So the first time I saw Son of the Mask, (laughs) I rented it on DVD after the fact. And I I knew it didn't get good reviews, but I didn't anticipate how bad it would end up being. Um, I honestly, very disturbing storyline. The idea that you basically, like, conceived this kid in like a blacked out stupor and as a result it's gonna have like these godlike powers and the kid just wants to use the powers to basically ruin jamie kennedy's life i th- i think there's a lot of really disturbing implications to it's, it's an oedipus complex movie he wants to be with his mother constantly and kill his father no i i like i i watch that and i see i see a horror movie i i find it deeply disturbing in a weird way you can call it a terrible movie, and it is, but it's found like some kind of existential horror beneath the surface that I, I don't think it truly understood the the consequence of. But yeah, so yeah, I think the cool thing about Son of the Mask. Now, um, yeah, now we're going into the first time. What happened to Jamie Kennedy? <laughs> I think that honestly, I think that messed up his career big time. Yeah. Did anyone watch Family Guy last week? Because they made a, a whole joke about. Jamie Kennedy and Pauly Shore disappearing after the 90s. Oh. I hope you enjoy the neighbors conversations that you're probably hearing right now. They're also talking about Son of the Mask. (laughs) (laughs) The whole apartment's buzzing. You may not know it, but Steve Martin and John Camp, you're also talking about Son of the Mask. (laughs) Boy, I love that Son of the Mask. Me too. Yeah, great movie. Oh. <laughs> no, I'll go watch it by myself. Okay. Our next commentary <laughs> will not be some of the but we will talk about it during it as well. No, if you want to hear us talk about planes, trains, and automobiles, watch the Son of the Mess commentary. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the, like, the water droplets on him? It looked like nitroglycerin. <laughs> Look. <laughs> Looks like he's like. <laughs> Showering in nitroglycerin. Yeah. I feel like I'm watching like a weird 90s TV movie and it's not helped by the fact that like it's in full screen right now. Yeah. <laughs> How great would that have been if it was like the girlfriend from looking, like Uncle Buck like just really connect every... He's thing. looking at a promotional still of the Goldbergs. <laughs> You really think of how disturbing this picture is. Uh, I thought we were talking about some of the mask again. <laughs> Do you mean the image quality or the actual, if uh, what the people watching the commentary would be seeing? Look at this. It really, it reminds me of like compressed video you would see on like a PS1 game or like the Sega CD when they would have those like, yeah. those 
What, what were those games called? Where Full motion video. The FMV yeah. games. Yeah. yeah. The, where like they would have to compress the video to fit it on there. That's what it looks like right now. We'll just take a few pictures and put them on screen so you guys can see what we're seeing. Yeah. We're really, we are not providing any context to what we're talking about <laughs> to anybody listening to this. This right is the now. world's worst audio commentary. No, it's a very insightful commentary. It's just not if you're listening to it in the format you're supposed to be listening to it in. We're if you listen to it in the incorrect way, it's very interesting. Look at this. We're 15 minutes in and all we've done is talk about how shitty the movie looks for us in Son of a Mask. I think we should still keep doing that. It's only 90 we're gonna, minutes. We're going to alter the instructions at the beginning and be like, to properly sync up, press play now and then damage your, <laughs> damage your, <laughs> your HDMI cord. <laughs> And watching a TV from the year 2003. Yeah, don't worry. Come 2020, we're going to be updating the equipment here, so we're not going to sound like garbage. The movies will still look like garbage for us because we're not updating that, but we'll sound a little bit nicer. The movies will still be garbage. No, I'm kidding. We watched some very good movies. Yeah, so we got to start doing like some shitty movies. So, um, yeah, let's do some of the masks next, guys. Oh, God, should we? Let's do Jingle All the Way 2, starring Larry the no, King. No, 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 no. We're doing Jingle All the Way, right? I think we should. Yeah, so be on the lookout for our Christmas episode with Jingle All the Way, where we'll just be doing impressions of Arnold Schwarzenegger doing his commentary for what was the movie he did where he was just describing. Total Recall. Yeah. We'll just be describing what's happening as Arnold. Well, I'll be doing, I'll be doing Sinbad impressions, I don't know. Sick world we're living in. But let's save that for that. Yeah, this is the scene uh, where when, like, no no one wants to do a Harvey Corman impression with Jingle all the way. No Phil Harmon. What? Just a gunshot. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to offend everyone back in 1997. Jacob, why are you drinking more? <laughs> thank you. Thank you for uh, increasing my presidential ambitions in the future. <laughs> See how Steve Martin looks in this scene? Now, I'm not saying that's comparable to my face right now. But I can't even see his face. That's only because my face isn't horribly grainy and deep red right now, like, like our purple. video quality is. It looks like a nightmare. This is terrible. What are we doing? <laughs> you know, I have to say, Steve Martin, you know, as he may complain about this, he didn't need to go with a stranger to a hotel. He probably shouldn't have gone to a hotel with a stranger. We've, should have just toughed it out at the airport. Should he have worn pants when they slept in the same bed. To be fair, I don't think he assumed he was in knee pajamas. So, I think this was supposed to be a one-day trip. So, that's where he, like, later in the movie says, I've been wearing the same underwear for, like, four days. Like, I don't think he ever intended to change. Fair. Meanwhile, John Candy is a vagabond and lives out, out of that comically large steamer trunk. 
from like the 1930s. Like I expect like Bob Hope and like Bing Crosby to like be carried in the next scene on like the next on the road movie. What if the twist was like he killed his wife <laughs> and she's in the trunk? <laughs> <laughs> My wife likes me. No, really. That's what she tells me every day in the suitcase. That's what? what that's what happens after the final scene in the movie <laughs> is they find out that he was the murderer. Yeah. <laughs> it just turns into like a Norman Batesian um like um prequel. And Steve Martin you get pissed off like no one's business. Yeah, it's funny. He he's really good at getting pissed off, but but he's also very good at doing the opposite, playing like a clueless buffoon, like in the jerk or something like that. Um, really, you know, I think it's just a testament to his acting range. I think my favorite him getting pissed off because it just shows how far gone his character is, is in the first Father of the Bride movie when he's going grocery shopping and he's like sickened by how much the wedding's costing. And he's going buying hot dogs and hot dog buns. And he does the age old, why the, you know, there are eight hot dogs, but 10 hot dog buns. So he just starts opening up hot dog bun rolls packs and taking out two extra, but he's buying multiple of it. So it doesn't make any sense, but shows how crazy he is. And he's just like screaming at some like per, poor clerk, how it's a conspiracy against him. And it like ends, it doesn't end with your typical like, Oh, ha, ha, he leaves and everything. It ends very realistically of him being arrested for being a crazy person. Does that happen? I haven't seen that movie in years. Yeah, that movie is hilarious just because how much of a lunatic he is in it. Like, he tries saving money by wearing his, like, tuxedo from his prom from, like, the 70s with the the ruffles. He's like, it's going to look great, guys. Then, like, Macaulay Culkin's younger brother's also in it. Oh, he's wow. got, like, ten of them. Yeah, I think it's the one that's actually acting and stuff, Rory Culkin. Oh, Rory Culkin. Is he the one that was in Signs? I believe so. Uh, yes. Then that might not have been him, because that was earlier. I don't know. Yeah, there's, like, fucking 50 Culkins. Yeah, it's like... Finding a new Culkin is like finding something in the cupboard that you haven't seen. They're always there. Didn't know it. Who's the one in succession right now? I think that might be Roy Colton. I don't think that is. By the way, I do have to say, going back to Plain Train Zombie Feels, I do really like how this script is structured because in any other movie, this fight where it's like, I like me, my wife likes me, my customers like me, this would have been the final blow up in like Act 3. Mm. End of Act 2. Or sorry, and sorry, and end of Act 2 leading to Act yeah. 3, and we're only like, what, 20 minutes into the movie? Yeah, and, no. Yeah, they keep fighting throughout, but it's like the real emotional gut punch. And I think it's important because as terrible as an experience turns out for Steve Martin through the rest of it, when a lot, like a sane man would be just like, fuck it, I'm giving up. I think it does lead into an important, importantness of him realizing, okay, I'm kind of being an asshole here. You know, this guy is annoying, but he is being a very generous person. Maybe I should lighten up. So it's very interesting how we do that, what would be standard in an other movie to be towards the end, very early on, to just justify the rest of the movie happening. Well, it's a more complex relationship. Like, the fact that they get to this point this early in the film, it really goes to show you how deep they're willing to go into, you know, the brief but complicated relationship these two have 
while also on the same token um, really goes to uh, show just the, the autonomy shift between the two of them as the film goes on where they go from hating each other to kind of feeling bad to getting along to hating each other again um, in that regard you know the writing is very commendable by the way, Rory Culkin was in Signs. Um, I'm looking to see if he was in. Uh, he was also in Scream 4 um, to see if he... Uh, he was not in The Father of the Bride, so that was a different one, but Kieran Culkin is, Kieran Culkin. is in, is in uh, Succession. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. But yeah, there, there were a billion of those Culkins. Word? Oh, hold on. We're on the part where John Candy... <laughs> has his fingers up Steve Martin's ass. Apparently the 20th anniversary DVD was called Those Aren't Pillows Special Edition. In reference <laughs> to this scene. Yeah, remember when comedy DVDs would do that? Like the, yeah. you know, Don't Call Me Shirley edition. That's or, the version I have. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. the uh, double secret probation version of Animal House. Huh. This is an early 2000s thing, I assume. Yeah, well, I think, um, I'm trying to think all those movies were put out. I don't think they were all put out by um, the same studio. So I think it might have just been a yeah trend that one of them did it to justify the new DVD. And they all picked up on it. Yeah. I like, actually, the Animal House DVD has a very interesting special feature where they got, like, pretty much the entire cast come back because that movie ends with the what happened to the characters afterwards, like it was a real thing. So they shoot a follow-up, like, where are the members of Omega and Delta House now? And they, like, follow around the actors and, like, just decide, they, like, decide, like, where they are. So, like, Hoover became, like, the, like, district attorney of L.A. and, like, helped um, prosecute, like, the O.J. case. <laughs> like, just weird shit like that. <laughs> and it's great. Much like the giant underwear here. That's going to be my cover photo for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Who directed this? It wasn't John Hughes, was it? I know he wrote it. He might have. I think we wouldn't be prepared for this. I've wrote a whole list of other trivia, and I did not look that up. Yeah, we didn't look up when the movie came out, who directed it. We know more about Son of the Mass than we know about this uh, this movie. Oh, it was for, directed by John Hughes. Oh, okay. Shit. Now, another really good John Hughes movie with John Candy in the lead is um, Nobody... <laughs> said Nobody's Fool, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> uh, only the, yeah, Only the Lonely. He didn't direct it, he wrote it, but uh, it stars John Candy, Ellie Sheedley, and um, Maureen O'Hara. Yeah, it was her, like, first movie in like decades and it was like one of her last movies and it's like a loose remake of Marty you know the Ernest Borgnine movie from the 50s mm -hmm. and it's actually yeah. like a really touching like romance between the affable but obviously very overweight John Candy who um, is a mama's boy lives at home with his very overbearing mother and the you know like 20 years younger Ally Sheedley who is you know very quiet and socially awkward it's just like a very touching Rom comments going back to what we said about John Candy, you know, branching out had he lived, you know, yeah, again, a lot of comedy in his there for his character, but you know, he gives a pretty sobering performance of like a guy just trying to make it his way in the world of love in it. And that's why I was thinking like uh, 
you know, if he, you know, not passed away, unfortunately, what would his career have looked like? But if he become more like a prestigious actor in part because his comedic roles became so iconic, but also because he clearly is a very good actor just in his own right. I think you're, I think you hit spot on. I never thought of it that um, he would have been a Bill Murray type, you know, actor that he would be in these quirky movies that still allow comedy, but then have a lot of drama. So I'm just imagining him being in Monuments Man instead of um, John Goodman now. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, I mean, I just think about, like, you think about actors or directors that bring actors like that in, like, comedic actors who do serious roles, and I think he certainly, as he got older, would have been brought along for projects like mm. that. Yeah. Would have been in Goodwill Hunting instead of Robin Williams. You think that's funny, Chief? My wife's dead, Chief. It's real sad, you know? No, there wasn't um, a John Hughes script that, ne- that never got made called, um, I might be getting the title wrong, Oil and Vinegar or something like that. And it was supposed to be with Matthew Broderick and Molly Ringwald. Hmm. So I think it was something like a road trip movie with the two of them. And um, I think John, I think they said like it was like the, the best thing he'd written. Really? Yeah, or something like that. And he, and it was later. Him. It was later recast with Robin Williams and made into the movie Flubber. Jesus. By the way, um, the first on-screen performance of Dylan Baker is it the first? Yeah. Okay, so I have to clarify. This is the first or film credited on-screen film with Dylan Baker, but he appeared in one other movie before this, but was not credited. And that movie was Ishtar with Warren Beatty <laughs> and Dustin Hoffman. Oh my god. Three, two, one, three. For a little context, Jake and I dressed up as the characters in Ishtar for Halloween a year ago. And absolutely nobody got Besides me. <laughs> These um, men are pawns. Also, Dylan Baker's from Syracuse. Yeah. yeah. He, um, my freshman year at Ithaca, he... Um, was in someone's thesis film. Like, he was, like, someone's, like, nephew, like, went there and, like, hey, want to help out on my thesis? Dylan Baker from Spider-Man 2 is going to be in it. Like, that was literally the poster they put around campus. But it is funny because, you know, I don't know him from too, too many things. The only things I can name him off the top of my head are the Spider-Man movies, Trick or Treat, and Road to Perdition, and in all those movies he plays, like, white-collared, very fastidious, you know, you know, upper middle class to, you know, work tradition being, like, a high power, like, mob, like, um, accountant. So it's very weird seeing him play, like, a dirtbag redneck in this. Oh, yeah. No. I, I remember, like, he guest starred an episode of Monk, and he played, like, a very snobby, uppity theater critic. That sort of became his bread and butter. We yeah. were sort of more um, upper class type characters. Well, so much funny. Yeah. Well, much like William H. Macy prior to Shameless, you know, he has a very waspy, like, you know, mm. look to him that he could play, um, you know, like, you, you feel like you, I, there could have been a world where he played William H. Macy's character in Pleasantville, and I think he could have done yeah, that well. Yeah, I agree. He was also in Let's Go to Prison. Oh, yeah. We should do a William H. Macy movie we, next time. Jurassic Park 3. Yes. Air Force. One. I'm always down for Jurassic Park three. Yeah, we'll be out. We'll be done with it in forty five minutes. <laughs> I 
Yeah, I had a Jurassic Park 3 Hot Wheels set that was a lot of fun. Really? What was that like? It, well, I, I don't even think it was necessary. I love that. <laughs> That's great. It's simple, but great. Um, it was just like a weird, like, the, um, like, station they go until they escape from the, um, I almost said Dominus Rex, whatever, the uh, dinosaur they escape from in that one. The Spinosaurus. And the Spinosaurus. And, like, it was just a long track where you launch the vehicle that, a vehicle that doesn't exist in the movie down and had like a loop and then it could like crash through a brick wall it's like it's very clearly just like a hot wheel set that they put a jurassic park logo <laughs> on no are you kidding me that's a recreation of my favorite scene in jurassic park 3 when sam neill and william h macy get in the race car and go over a loop to loop to escape the spinosaurus <laughs> exactly you want to do what dr grant oh. all i'm gonna say is you're probably not getting out of this car alive so, and when they find the car, like, Alan Grant's walking the other direction, just here, William H. Macy go, Dr. Grant, I want to take a look at this. What is it? It's a Hot Wheels car. Still Get in. Still would have been better than Lost World, um, or than Jurassic World Part 2. Oh, Fallen, uh, yeah, Fallen Animal. Yeah, retread of Lost World. Jurassic Park 3, that's a fun movie. Yeah. It's like a very solid, like, B-movie. Yeah. Really I, great direction. Yeah, you know. I do like it better than Jurassic World 2. Like, that's not a joke. Like, I think no. it is a better movie. No, I, I, um, I think out of all the sequels, probably objectively Jurassic World is the best one. But oh, yeah. I'll take Jurassic Park 3. Any, I'll take those Alexander Payne characters over any of them in Jurassic World. At least they feel real. At least... At least we forget the lost world as well. Oh, I know that. I'm just comparing a because we're talking about Jurassic Park three, but of no, course. I I know. I just it felt wrong to leave the lost world sitting on the bench there. Oh no, that's that's my favorite. That is by far the best sequel, as we all know. And my favorite. Now this uh, does bring up a point about <laughs> plane trains and automobiles. The movie we are watching that no airline car rental or train uh, like comedy wanted to be portrayed in it, so they had to make up their own. So for this, they had to buy a decommissioned train, get it up and running, and paint it to look like a like working train, and they had just to create tons of different like company logos and uniforms for any time they're dealing with anyone officially, because you know, Amtrak doesn't want to be portrayed as stranding people in the middle of fucking nowhere. Oh, I did hear about that, actually. I had to go and create the whole train and everything. Yeah, well, it was the same thing with the car rental. Like, they actually, in that scene where, you know, he goes to find his car, they actually had to rent 250-plus cars, fill up an empty parking lot, and then create, you know, for the scene, which is, like, gobbing the most F-bombs, like, in, like, the span of, like, a minute, like, a minute long... <laughs> Um, AKA the best moment in cinema history. Um, you know, just create, yeah, the logo because no one wanted to be portrayed. Like, I can't imagine Hertz or Amtrak or, you know, United wanting to be portrayed by, in these movies. Like, God this. forbid Amtrak is portrayed poorly and inefficient. Yeah, I would have seen that scene if it was Amtrak and I'd be like, overall, not a bad ride. <laughs> Hellish my landscape. <laughs> it's like a Richard Stanley movie. <laughs> this is a preview of the color out in space. Yeah. 
That's the music I hear in my head. That color. So, that color. So, the movie's called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. They are in a regular car for a chunk of the movie. So, shouldn't this movie be called Planes, Trains, Buses, and Automobiles? Can you class a bus and an automobile in a different class? The bus ride is more successful because they're very happy for the couple that's getting some hair. So yeah. they opted not to include that in the title. When I, when I was a little kid watching this movie, when the guy like lifts up his face, he has like a very weird patchy mustache. Like the middle part's missing. I always thought the joke was he was kissing her so hard that like he burned off part of his mustache. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I never grew a mustache. Didn't want to ruin it with the ladies that I never had in high school or early adulthood. So back to Son of the Mask. Well, no, I was going to about Steve Martin's hair. Like, what? What about it? What age did he did his hair just turn gray? <laughs> That's the thing. I always just see him in clips from like the early SNL years where it's dark and then it jumps to white. Like, somewhere in the mid, early to mid-80s, it just changed. So I'm imagining, like, a poltergeist-type <laughs> scenario. I was going to say, was he traumatized? Did he wake up and see a ghost? <laughs> you saw the ghost of John Belushi on the set of SNL one day. Well, hon, I have white hair now. Time to officially go become a problem at Hooters. That's a family guy joke. <laughs> I have a single one um the Oscars many, many years ago, that they did like a, a whole bit about looking for an Oscars host. And then Steve, it, they got to Steve Martin, who hosted before, and he's like, No, thanks. I have to I have to take care of my family. And then he, it just it pulls away to him and his whole family. They all have gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, yeah, credit to Steve Martin. Since he got the gray hair, it was like a trade off. He's Pretty much looked the same age ever since. I know. Like he's like know. Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like he just never aged. Well, that's the thing. I sum up like people who you know, have that you age quickly and then just stop aging. Like my great aunt and uncle, like you know, they live to be in their like late seventies, early eighties. They look great for their age. I'm looking at like home movie from the home movies from the sixties when they're in like their forties and they look like shit. So it's like 30s and 40s, they look like garbage. They look like old people even back then. As soon as they hit like 50, like, oh, we're golden now. We're going to look the same for the rest of our lives. And I can appreciate that. It was all yeah. that broiled meat they ate back then. Nobody told them that till the 80s. Yeah, yeah he was a World War II vet. He was just like, yeah, whatever. That was a Sopranos reference to anyone who, who noticed. I thought you were just making fun of the way our grandparents' generation ate. We're basically only making references that one of us get and the other two just kind of blankly listen to right now. <laughs> when this come out? 86? 87? Okay. Wait, I thought we determined it was 88. No, 88 was the year that um, she's having my, or she's having a baby came out. So it's weird that they have the audio from that movie playing in this movie when it wouldn't come out for another year so it was like this was the equivalent to the end of iron man pitching like the avengers like the john hughes cinematic universe did john hughes write meet the fuckers i mean meet the parents i don't think so 
I was going to say he wouldn't write that, but he also wrote Flubber and Baby's Day Out. No, I'm kidding. He didn't write it. It's like he really, like, disappeared. Like, I guess when you write that many successful movies, like, in the 80s and 90s, in the 80s, um, that you could just kind of retire early. Because I, I, mean, like, I can't really think of too much shit he did he, after a Home Alone 3. That's the most recent movie I can think he did. He did pass away. Yeah, like five no, years. In between. Was he was he sick? or? I, I was, don't know. He, I, he I, died I, young, too. I remember when Home Alone 3 came out. but mm-hmm. That came out like 96. No, that came out like 99. Let's say 98. I don't know. Jesus. I remember seeing ads for it, though. And I'm looking at his IMDb, like, the last, um, like, ten years, it's just been characters based on, or story based on, um... It looks like the last movie he actually wrote was 2001's Just Visiting. Huh. Oh, wow. Who's that with? Uh, Home Alone 3, by the way, came out in 1997. Okay. Uh, okay. That was with John Jean Renault, Christina Applegate. Christina Applegate? And Home Alone 3? No, that was Scarlett Johansson. Oh, 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 you're talking about. Oh, yeah, she's just the, the teenage she's a sister. sister. Yeah. Yeah, the only famous person in that movie. I can't think of a single other act. I'm, also, for years, I thought the one henchman who I will put up on the screen right now from Home Alone 3. Was from was um, David Schwimmer from? Oh, he Friends. does kind of yeah. look like David Schwimmer. I know <laughs> what you're talking about. The, the, and I was like, I didn't know who Friends was at the time, so I <laughs> seen that movie. I loved it. I had it on VHS. I that was like my favorite movie for a long time, showing that kids have no taste in movies. And then just like as I got older and started watching Friends, I'm like, oh yeah, he was in Home Alone three. And it wasn't until like years later that I'm like, oh no, that wasn't him. What if it was? No, no, I want to dispute the whole there was no other famous actors in that movie line you just gave us because, you know, Alex D. Lenz, he was Max Keebler. <laughs> Keebler? Max Keebler's a new new groove, big move. Max Keebler. There you go, big move. Big move. I thought it was Max Keebler's big cookie. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Because you say Keebler, like the elves, instead of Keeble, like the actual movie, fucking Philistine. Alright, well, when you put it that way, it seems less insane, <laughs> but only slightly. It's Max Keebler's big move. <laughs> oh, um, that guy who played the dad from Smart House, Kevin Kellner, um, was the dad in that. Yeah, Scarlett Johansson's like listed 15 credits down, I think she pays IMDb to bury that. She's in North, isn't she? Yeah, that was, I think, her first movie. Yeah, she's like a little kid in that movie. Yeah. Oh, I love this. <laughs> I think he really relished being in this movie. <laughs> Much like Jamie Kennedy, for a brief moment there, really relished being in Son of the Mask. I think Jamie Kennedy had a better experience on that than Steve Martin did with this movie. This looks pretty fucking cold right now. Again, (laughs) looking like he's upset because he just found JFK had been assassinated. I was about to ask where they filmed this, and I remembered, oh yeah, the one piece of trivia on Wikipedia was where it was filmed. (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, pre-9-11, airport security wasn't that great. That's a great shot. Now, here, yeah, upcoming, this scene, this is the reason why this movie is rated R and not PG-13. Yeah, this is it. Just this one scene. I'm very depressed of that. Please, if small children are in the room while you're listening to this, do nothing, as you probably have the movie on mute already. Though we've said the F-bomb probably like 15 times now. Mostly me. I'm sorry. Kids, get out of the room. You don't want to see the secretary from Ferris Bueller get yelled at. He's a righteous dude. She really helps sell this scene. Like, oh. Steve Martin's, you know, he's really funny throwing the swear words out, but her reaction, like, that, that's like the cherry on top. Mm-hmm. That's what really makes it work. Well, especially, like, the final punchline at the end of it. Yeah, You're absolutely. fucked. And that's like it's so crazy because any like, every like every other movie I see her and she's always like the same bubbly woman like that she is at the beginning part of the scene. So like seeing her with a, like a smug look on her face and drop the f bomb, it's like whoa. She seems like your like eccentric, eccentric aunt who comes around only around the holidays and like you know gives you like a dollar just to show because you're like oh here's you know a dollar to my favorite nephew and then gives them to every other nephew because you fucking lied to me aunt cheryl why would you lie sorry don't touch me even with the audio off this is still a funny scene (laughs) This reminds me of the um, theory that um, Elvis is in the background of one scene in Home Alone. What? What? Yeah, there's a theory that Elvis is one alive and two is in the background of the scene. It's the scene where she's actually in Scrant- Scranton. Um, the mom is trying to like get like a car, get a plane rider, and it's when she meets um, John Candy's character, and supposedly Elvis is in the background. And, like, for 15 minutes of the Home Alone commentary, Chris Columbus and Macaulay Culkin talk about, like, that. He's like, Macaulay Culkin's like, wait, really? The people think that's Elvis? He's like, wait, don't tell me, which one, who is it? And, like, he points out, he's like, that doesn't look like Elvis at all, really? He's like, yeah, people call me every now and then asking me to do interviews and asking if I knew if it was Elvis or not. <laughs> so poor Chris Columbus, he's in the middle of, like, making Harry Potter 2 and, like, is getting hounded by nut jobs. Elvis just snuck onto the set that day and, like, everyone, no one really noticed. Finally, some guy was like, hey, Bill, is that Elvis? I saw I like him. And Elvis realized the gig was up. He had to get off the set of Planes, Trains, and all home alone. Yeah. Also, in that movie, that scene, people theorize that John Candy's actually the devil because... She says, I would sell my soul to the devil. And you see John Candy, the background turn on exactly <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> like, it's clear it's just meant to be he overheard a death from <laughs> But Oh, yeah, that's a theory. But it, it lines up very well. Very well. He, he, they, she gets in his car and he just drives her to hell. Well, they're like, you know, the devil is known to play the pipe or the fife or like whatever. And like, you know, he's playing a clarinet, which is kind of the same thing, but kind of not. That's hilarious. 
Also, we just talked over Steve Martin getting grabbed by the testicles. Yeah. And that is when I achieved my first erection when I watched this movie. That was when his hair turned white. <laughs> he died it for, you know, roles before this, but went and had like it. It's kind of like when uh, Oscar Bluth went bald in the rest of development. He's like, why is it not turn? Why is it not coming back? Steve Martin thought the same thing. He had dyed it white, and it just never went back after that scene. He did it for a Halloween costume. We we should all be Steve Martin for Halloween. <laughs> just get white hair if he needs his costume ever. Just Steve Martin That's from different, different movies. So like Father of the Bride. Yeah. Straight on was cheaper by the dozen too. Um, I was going to say Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk. Okay. <laughs> I gotta throw this out there about Cheaper by the Dozen. The fact that they made only two and they never made a third movie called Cheaper by the Dozen 3, A Baker's Dozen (laughs) is an absolute baffling fact and a travesty. Like, literally, I'm pretty sure their names are the Bakers because it's a pun. Like, that's why they named them the Bakers. And it's like, you know, you got two movies. What you? It's right there, that title. That's all you need. Go make the movie. <laughs> well, we should also watch the other classic movie about a million kids in a family. Yours, mine, and ours. Oh, with Dennis Quaid? Yeah. Well, I was going to say we should watch the other, the Henry Fonda, Lucille Ball version. But yeah, sure, why not the Nickelodeon? Version. It's funny that he's in that because I'm sitting there. I'm like, if they made it cheaper by the dozen three, he would be like the co-star because he had like Eugene Levy was the co-star in the second one, and it's like, all right, you're kind of going for that like actor that has like a sort of specific appeal, but is like broad enough that families could still appreciate him. It's like, who would you go for next? Would it be like a Dennis Quaid? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Like who would who would be the competing dad in Cheaper by the Dozen three? Well, that's like this. If you do a cheaper buy the dozen three now, like it's not nearly as interesting as like a guy like ranging from Tom Welling in his forties to like his kids in like their mid to late twenties. Not nearly as chaotic, but I kind of want to see that Tom Welling just coming back, you know, fucking from the Arrowverse. Yeah. What if it was like the Bakers? They they like. We're sad because all their kids moved out from home, and now they're just like adopting a bunch of kids. <laughs> they but have another dozen. It's like Steve, Steve Martin and Bonnie Hunt just adopt like a dozen more kids. Oh god! Or there's an accident, and like six of them die, so it's cheaper. <laughs> a dozen, and it's just like a sobering drama about them burying half their children. Jesus Christ! It's like what? What's that movie called? Rabbit, White Rabbit. Uh... With Aaron Eckhart and a cold, they lose their son in the car accident. Oh, you mean the movie that Aaron Eckhart went to grieve, like a parent, parental grievance council, and like just use that as the basis for that movie? Oh. Oh yeah, he like went to like just a grieving parents thing, like undercover, and just like took parents' stories and used them to sharpen his acting skills. It's because they're like one of the oh, wow. douchiest things ever. Mm-hmm. Now, fun fact about this upcoming scene. You know, I always thought driving home, you know, I lived just outside of Buffalo. I'm like, wow, this, you know, this highway structure, you know, looks very familiar. You know, this has got to be, you know, um, 
you know, shot here, but I'm like, ah, you know, as I got older, I'm like, no, you know, it's just a stretch of a highway in the northeast. But no, this is actually, um, I'm looking it up now to make sure I get the route number correct. Um, U.S. Highway 219, which runs between Buffalo and Springville, which I used to take a lot growing up. So, yes, this actually was correctly pictured by 10-year-old me as that stretch of highway. So I applaud my young mind for recognizing that. So, yeah, this was an unopened stretch of highway at the time, so they could do these scenes of them driving on the wrong side of the highway over and over again without having to close anything down. Hmm. Yeah, I think they said at the time it was like two to three miles long, so they would just do a tape, turn around, go back and do it again. Yeah, with John Candy at the wheel. <laughs> this, this was him just driving. It's Steve Martin. <laughs> they just let him rip. John's like, all right, John. Just go. God, this looks like we know we cut the scene with you singing with the hairbrush before but in the bathroom, but you, you know, you make this work. Once, once we get to the part when they turn to skeletons, you gotta take a picture and use that as a thumbnail for the commentary. <laughs> and what's those John Hughes movies with characters turning into skeletons? Is that Home Alone 2? Yeah. Yeah. That'll be next Christmas when we do the Home Alone movies. That was the good point. Ones, that like was when he was in like his full auteur phase and no one could question him. He just really loved people turning into skeletons. Well, I just love um, on the Red Letter Media video where Macaulay Culkin and them talk about Home Alone 4 and they're talking about how silly you know, that one was compared to the original ones. And like one of them said, well, they did have a scene where Daniel Stern turns into a fucking skeleton. <laughs> That's like the most surreal video to me. They're like Macaulay Culkin sitting there watching the fourth Home Alone movie without him. What I do like how, like, again, the continuity, because by that point, who cares? The kid's actually younger than him. There's the like kid, less yeah, he's similar. younger. He's, he, he's younger in the fourth movie than he is in the second movie. And there's less kids as well. So I like their theory that, yeah, they had a few more Home Alone instances and they just lost the original Kevin somewhere. They're like, ah, fuck it. We'll adopt a new kid and name him Kevin. He's like, a, he's like when your kid's pet dies, you're just like, Kevin too? I always thought that just the other siblings died and that's why the parents split up. <laughs> and it caused Kevin to revert to like a childlike state, which is like why he's much less mature in that movie than in the first and second. And why, and why all of a sudden Daniel Stern like shrinks in size and turns into French Stewart? It's very weird because he physically at least looks much more like Harry than he does Mar. Yeah, and I, it's like weird they because like I mean French Stewart, you know, I'm not that movie wasn't exactly asking for like Oscar winning <laughs> performances from its actors, but like. Like, French Stewart could have done, like, uh, Joe Pesci. Like, he was yeah. kind of doing, like, he had yeah, like, like Joe Pesci. He, acts, yeah. he even acts, like, more, like, a, a conniving leader. sort of, yeah. uh, yeah, like, a conniving criminal, like, Joe Pesci more than Marv. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny, because then Missy Pyle, who I forgot was the uh, girlfriend in that, um, you know, is very much like Marv in the original movies, like, dumb, you know, the t- taller than him. Yeah, well, you know, maybe not actually taller. They just might have had French Stewart, like, you know, like hunch over. 
Um, but yeah, like it was very weird they decided. Like I feel like they got fucked up when they were um, writing it and they couldn't remember who did what characters were played by who. So like, oh yeah, this is Joe Pesci's character. Which one was he? Yeah, I think he was Marv. Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> they forgot to check the first movie before they wrote the entire film. <laughs> And then at the end, like, oh, should we change it? There's really no references. I'm, I'm sorry, are we watching like some doomsday device rising from the ground here? Because it's hard to tell what's going on. I was just like, I'm because the color's all messed up, and it's like it would look like there was like some like weapon rising from the ground or something. Oh dear lord! This is why we only get like 20 views on each video. We put in so much time and effort, and you dedicated viewers. This is great, but come on. Tell all of your friends to watch us. Please. What if they don't have friends? That's insensitive. Why are you assuming these people have friends? You're right. You're watching this on Thanksgiving Day instead of being with your family. What if they don't have family? Oh, shit. Well, then stop watching because you clearly can't recommend this to anybody. And go ahead. We already got your view. <laughs> yeah. I don't care if you watch it away for two minutes as long as we get the view. No, no. We obviously want everybody to watch it. We, you know, we welcome everyone to listen to us discuss Son of the Mass. <laughs> like that. <laughs> I just love these two people. I want a spin-off movie. <laughs> you said I want to spin on them. <laughs> what? <laughs> Alright, here's another weird trivia fact. Jerry Ryan was cast in this movie, but cut from the final film. Who's that? She was on Star Trek Voyager. You take a picture with him, do it. <laughs> Jesus Christ! That's just nightmares. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Did you get it? <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> Oh, God. It's terrifying seeing it, like, you know, freeze frame. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted. Um, and that picture um, will now be up on screen for five minutes. Perfect. <laughs> Skinny John Candy skeleton. <laughs> oh. Well, I guess, that's yeah, right. technically. He's, that's what he is now. <laughs> now, fun John oh. Candy fact. Um... <laughs> Just showing how much of a stand-up guy he was when he died, the LAPD shut down the 405, which was the route he was going on, like from uh, wherever his funeral was to um, the cemetery he was being buried at. And like the family didn't request, no one requested, just they knew about it and they decided we're going to do this because John um, Candy was such a nice guy and did a lot of like, charitable work for the LAPD. Oh. So you have John Lovitz and none of them knew about it. John Lovitz was actually the last in the procession because, you know, he hated him. No, um, he was the last in the procession. He's like, no, see, there's no traffic on the 405 as they're getting off the off-ramp. He just sees a few cops, like, lifting the barricade away, and, like, they confirm it. So he's like, that's how they found out. Like, no one knew, but they're just like, you know, he's such a nice guy, we're going to shut down the 405. And that's such a nice sentiment, but considering the fact I take the 405, like, <laughs> every day, I can safely say I would fucking despise John Candy after <laughs> that. If it's like, I can't go to work today. My commute is now twice as long. You know what? Fuck John Candy. I hate Wackens East. That sounds like a joke about something that would happen to a John Candy character in one of his <laughs> movies. And he would watch it from heaven or something. Well, what's going on? 
You mean they don't like me? <laughs> Burn all my copies of Camp Candy on Betamax. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I love that era of um, TV. That era where, like, comedians who were kind of family-friendly, but not specifically family-friendly, were given TV shows. Like, remember Rick Moranis's cartoon where he, like, not even just a character, like, it's just Rick Moranis becomes a teacher at, like, a high school full of monsters. Wait, what was this? I can't remember what it was called, but, like, he... I didn't know Rick Rick Moranis had, like, a cartoon. Yeah, it was, like, well, that was, like, like, all these cartoons lasted one season because they weren't good. But, like, he's, like, a teacher at, like, a school where, like, it's a bunch of, like, movie monsters. Oh, apparently this is a reference to um, Blues Brothers with the sign, um saying the mile marker to Chicago. For some reason, it's slightly off from when they say, you know, we got 102 miles to Chicago, but they decide to have a reference to it. Hmm. <laughs> it's also this part of the movie that I start thinking of Tommy Boy, just with all the damage happening to their car. Like, I, <laughs> I keep forgetting sometimes the, about those movies, so like, I expect this is the part where the deers jump out of the car. No Blues Brothers? Yes. Blues Brothers 2000, which will be our next commentary. I've never seen Blues Brothers 2000. I watched it one time. It was not good. Isn't it like two hours? Something like that. Oh, we should do Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Oh. Rick Moranis is IMDb now. I'm down for that. I remember that. Allison Max in it. Oh, great. Oh, my Dale God. Is she? She's the daughter. Oh, my God. Well, Mila Kunis is in it, too. Yeah, Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis is just like an extra, too, right? She's she's a very minor character. She has lines, but yeah, she's yeah. like the popular girl that comes in. Yeah, those are the way through. Wow. And it's got, uh, what's his name? Who's the best friend? The guy from Fatal Attraction. Oh, um, I know. He was also the, the um, like, commander on, like, the Xenon movies. And the what movies? Xenon. Yeah, like those Disney movies. The Space Girl one. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen him. That guy's great. He, he He's actually pretty great at Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Oh, yeah. Like, he gives, like... I remember Jack put it well, that, that scream that he makes when he realizes he's shrunken. It's like a horrifying, blood-curdling <laughs> scream that's, like, very I remember, believable. I remember the commercials. Ray, you shrunk us! You shrunk us! I will murder you! Or something like that. Yeah. I actually had the Hot Wheel from that. Like, the, the VHS we had... Um, came with that it was like I remember it was like just taped the top of it oh, and I had it for years and then I lost it so it's probably some collector's item now you know it's funny for until I rewatched it a couple years ago I didn't know like with like the magazine and everything as a kid you don't know like what the hell it's about but yeah. now it's like oh they think he's reading pornography yeah those made for this part. Um, great physical comedy. Um, but yeah, those are the, so like they kind of cared a little bit on that one. Like I forgot like that was a made for like that was the first one. live action director video thing I think that they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Um, probably. Dean Cundy directed it. Oh yeah. Oh my god, did he? He did. Wait, wait. You just blew my mind. Yeah. Dean Cundy directed Honey We Shrunk Ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting because, you know, I almost think of it comparable to, like, streaming stuff now, where it's like, Mm. DTV was probably, like, they were testing the waters to see if that could become sort of, like, equivalent to the theatrical experience, but that never happened with that. You even look at, you know, Disney became infamous for its 
direct-to-DVD sequels, but the initial couple that they pumped out were actually quite good, and yeah. it just all went downhill from there. You yeah. think Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, or Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is going to be like a TV show now on Disney+. Plus? Well, they already had the TV show back in the early 2000s with Peter Scolari. Yeah, I remember oh, that. Oh my god. I remember Peter's... watching that back in the day. Yeah, I loved it. it Peter was... Scolari played Zelensky. No, he yeah, played the he... wife, actually. <laughs> I get that. I get the reference. Yeah. No, but there was actually a joke in at one point. Like, they did a parody of the um, Outer Limits episode that, like, Sandcrawler is the one with Bo Bridges. It was, like, the first episode where they get, like, aliens who build, like, you know, sandcastles. And, like, they build, like, a sandcastle with Bo Bridges' face. And, like, they, it's, like, sea monkeys or something like that. And they have a line. Hold on, like, hold on. Do we recognize that guy? I was just looking at him. I'm like, the color's all distorted, <laughs> but he looks vaguely familiar. You don't know where he's from? I, I want to say, well, I got to see his face. Here. I know him. Is that the lawyer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the lawyer from Jurassic Park. I, I yeah. think this is Gennaro. This is him too. But, um, yeah, so they built, they built like a sandcastle of Rick Moranis' face and everyone but Peter Scolari's character knows who Rick Moranis is and they have a line saying, Rick Moranis, he's the best thing to come from Canada. And as like a little kid, I'm like, Wait, what? Why are they making that joke, like, forgetting that Rick Moranis had been in the movies? I was like, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> but anyways, back to Son of the Mask. Wait, wait, hold on. Not, that, that was a pretty funny show. Yeah. Well, they had a series of movies where they go back in time, and they go to the Old West, and, like, they do the, what's your name? He just says, Clint Eastwood, and everyone looks at him weird, and, like, his family looks at him weird, and he's like, hey, come on, Marty got to do it in the third one, meaning Back to the Future 3. It's oh, like, God. man, you're refer- referencing a movie that at that point was like 10 years old from a competing, like, you know, movie studio. Hey, I was uh, going to ask if Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves is, I mean, Honey, We Shrunk the Kids is, is universal. No. Yeah, just like in a few years, this guy was going to get ripped apart by a T-Rex. John Candy. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's my young um, euphemism for a heart attack in Mexico. Oh. <laughs> Got a lot of jokes to cut out. No, this is fine. This is clean. <laughs> Alicia Silverstone's gonna take all this out of context to make you guys look terrible. Wait, what? Wait for it. Alicia Silverstone as a news reporter. Oh, it's all the context to make you guys look terrible. I think I think Coolsville sucks. Oh, oh. <laughs> Scooby Doo uh, Two Monsters Unleashed reference. I did not say that. It was totally out of context. You're trying to make it look like I think Coolsville sucks. <laughs> As we're talking about this, like, very emotional scene where John Candy is going to freeze to death. What if he did it? It's just like... That's like the Shining. Yeah, it's just, oh, like, oh, the Shining. Like, <laughs> just imagine that photo at the end of the Shining so like, of John Candy just as the skeleton from the earlier thing. And we'll still say, wow, he's so likable. It's going to be a photo. Yeah, it's going to be like the Overlook photo and John Candy will be in the front. Like, that's literally what I just said. Yeah, yeah. Again, goes to show that how great he is. Yeah, he could have murdered, uh, murdered. Uh, 
that was called Cat Stevens. Um, Cat Stevens? <laughs> um, shit. Scat, Scatman Crothers, I mean. Oh. <laughs> Cooper, Scatman Crothers. Scatman Stevens. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine Cat Stevens as Dick Alvarez? Let us pray to, to Allah. <laughs> Doc? It's a wild world out there, Danny. <laughs> Get that shining. Oh, that looks, that looks oh, terrifying. So Look at that. <laughs> oh, so very young to be chased by the ghosts from room 217. Look, at least I referenced Cat Stevens' songs. I don't know anything about him, really. I can't even think of one fucking song. Oh, shine that. on. You can't keep it in, Danny. A.K.A. the, the diarrhea song. He's like Islamic now, isn't he? What, Didn't what he is convert that, to Islam? What does that matter to you? <laughs> no, I was... Am I ta- thinking about the right guy? Yeah, no, you're th- his oh. name's Yusuf Islam now. But he, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. really? No yeah. wonder why when I Google nothing comes up now. <laughs> no, was, yeah, he changed his name to Yusuf Islam. Um... No, you know, Wild World, oh, very young, I can't keep it in, a.k.a., you know, the poop song. Father, Son, a lot of great songs from Cat Stevens. Oh, Father, Son. What a great song. That's in Gardens of the Galaxy (laughs) 2. Yes, it is. Back to this movie, though. I I do like... Sorry, one last thing. He did the soundtrack to Harold and Maude. He did. Great soundtrack. Okay, that's why. Okay. Yeah, that's Um, Settle down. That's the only. If you want to be free, take it easy. easy. I, I'm not gonna sing Cat Stevens music on the <laughs> No, excuse me, Yusuf Islam. Uh, I'm not Soundtrack by they got doing any singing on this commentary track. You gotta go back in Harold and Maude and change. Look at how intense he looked there. What? With John Candy, like as he's bringing up his wife. Like this could work at the trust that he did murder his wife in reality. Well, you know, getting serious here, this is like a great example of how you do a character reveal structurally. Yeah. I know I'm diving into this a little early, but, you know, this is a thing where it's not so much like a twist that is hinted at. It's not hinted at, but it makes perfect sense from a character perspective. Yeah. It's not a shocking out-of-nowhere left turn when that is revealed. When that happens, you go, of course that's what you know, his story is that makes perfect sense for why this character is that way. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's such a great example when you hide information about a character from someone, because it's not like you don't understand John Candy before that you do, or at least you think you do, but you come to understand him even more as a result of it. Yeah. Well, it's like the old iceberg analogy. Like right now we're seeing like the 10% of him above water. And then, like, short, like, when we get that, we get the full picture. Because, there, yeah, there are plenty of, like, subtle hints, you know, when he gets off the plane, he's like, you know, you called your wife, you know, I called the hotel and all that. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, married men, we always call our wife as soon as we get off the plane. But, what, you know, hinting, like, okay, he doesn't have anyone to call here. And, like, oh, I haven't been home in years. It's just, like, little moments, like you said, you don't immediately, the first time, watching it I, that's like the most overt moment when he has that look on his face and even then that could be interpreted as the same thing steve martin's going through just missing his wife yeah and it's like um 
it, it's a thing where you understand the character even without the full context of him. Whereas a, a weaker movie would just have him be acting weird and you'd constantly be questioning why he's acting weird because they would be hinting at some sort of backstory that they're keeping mm-hmm. hidden from you. They'd be hiding the info. Where here, you don't really ever question it. It's just who he is, you know, as a character. That's the character. And then when the reveal happens at the end, then you realize, oh, of course, you know, that's the scenario. That's the backstory to this guy because he's acting this way. It's really, this is sort of for me the proverbial example of how you do that, that the hat trick with writing. Yeah. Another great example is well, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Oh, great that, movie. That ending. Yeah. yeah. It's like, that. that's how you do a twist, I feel like. I won't, I know the movie's many like decades old, but like it's, it's worth watching because like that's how yeah. that's how you do it. By the way, I like here a similar quick. thing. Real yes. quick here, here um, they commit all this crime. Like they're like, we have to leave. But if you pay attention, you can see like they're still blowing them off, turning their turn signals on when they leave the driveway. <laughs> I feel like that was in the script. That was just like whoever was driving thought it would be funny. Like oh yeah, those turn signals still work at this car. That would be a funny <laughs> thing. And they're just like, we'll leave that in. But yeah, at this point of Tommy Boy, this is when they start seeing um, Karen Carpenter, superstar, I think. Oh, okay. What the hell does Keont OWBC mean? Yeah, that's at the top of the screen. Again, we're going to get better audio equipment. Still going to have a crappy TV from 03 and a portable DVD player to watch. For a second, I thought you were saying better audio equipment, like for the TV. It was like, we're going to still have to mute it, though, you know. Oh no, I sink two thousand dollars into this. <laughs> and ignore the police sirens outside. They're not coming to find me yet. They haven't found the dead bodies yet, I think. God help me if they have. Oh, there's like one quarter of spinal tap. <laughs> It's hard to tell because I can't see his face. <laughs> is it They're having sheer? a really bad reaction <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh! Yeah, he's also the best Perry White. We can all agree on that, right, guys? This is this is how you watch this movie in the same state of mind that Spinal Tap is in. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry, Perry White. Wait, which uh, was he? Perry White? Yeah, in Smallville. <laughs> John Candy was in Smallville. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, they had him in, like, I three episodes. Like, the first episode, he's, like, a disgraced, drunken reporter who sees Clark Kent, like, you know, save the day. And he now starts putting himself in more and more precarious situations so he can catch Clark saving him so he can become, like, a great reporter again. Oh, wow, maybe he'll be in Crisis on Infinite Earths. <laughs> maybe. You know who's not going to be in it? Alex and Mac. Um, yeah... Yeah. <laughs> They're coming for her right now. <laughs> her cult was situated, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was situated in like upstate New York. Yeah. In like Albany, I want to say. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I know. It was like in like mid-central like New York. It was very... Now, that was, like, a thing when I saw, like, Allison Madge trending on Twitter. I'm like, oh, what does she do? I haven't heard from her in a while. Oh, no. 
Which I she was my first ever celebrity crush. So that was she. Up. Yeah. You know how to pick them, Wass. Wass is gonna cut nothing out of this commentary except that line <laughs> he just said about his his celebrity crush there. You know, listen, I really liked Honey. We shrunk ourselves a lot growing up. Oh yeah, that would be it. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think what mine was. It's... No, I I I didn't start like because I'm a little bit younger than they are. You know. I don't actually it, no might have no it was Michelle Trachtenberg and Inspector um, uh, Gadget. That was one of mine too. What else was Michelle Trachtenberg in? Harriet the Spy. Oh my God! No, she was in Euro Trip. You're right. right. Yeah, <laughs> Euro Trip. Maybe I don't. She know. was also an Ice Princess. Remember that movie? Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, she's Buffy's sister. That's what I was. The Euro Trip. That's what I was thinking. I keep also getting her confused for the girl in um, Snow Day. That Wait, was, are you sure that's not? No, that's not her. That was like when Michelle Trachtenberg got too old. They're like, get us a quirky redheaded girl. Stats. Yeah, you get us the budget Michelle Trachtenberg. <laughs> oh, you're right. Okay. All our money's going to John Schneider and Chevy Chase and Chris Elliott. Oh, God. That I don't should be our next commentary. Yeah, that was a good movie. And that takes place in Syracuse. So, very nearby mm. us as well, originally. Before global warming ravaged upstate New York, there were innocent times when Chevy Chase was still just a normal comedic actor and no one hated him. An elderly maniac. <laughs> Let's keep talking about Chevy Chase now, as we're getting to the emotional. This movie really does fly by, though. It's like what ninety-two minutes. Yeah, and we also did pass by a um, interesting moment. I just thought about it again. Um, you know, when he gets that truck for him and he's talking about, he's like, we have to sit in the back and the driver's a little squirrely. He's got a black eye and it's never been, like, I guess confirmed, but there was apparently originally a scene where he has to beg the guy to, like, let them on. He gets punched in the face for it, but they're like, oh. we don't need that. What's that sound? Is that the portable DVD player of the TV? Thanks. Both is the answer. Whatever it is, I suspect it's not the movie. <laughs> is my heart breaking at this scene? Yeah. Oh, R.I.P. John Candy. You guys want to wake up early tomorrow and go to his like grave and leave flowers? Where is he buried? Somewhere in L.A. Somewhere? <laughs> in a potter's field or something? <laughs> you make it so much. <laughs> <laughs> There's like fucking 15 famous cemeteries in this. Yeah, I'm going to Glendale tomorrow, so I'm just going to go to that cemetery. I'll go around and find Jimmy Stewart's grave, I guess. Right. You guys want me to dig Jimmy Stewart up while I'm down there? Yeah, please. I mean, it'll probably just be like a suit and cotton. <laughs> just a skeleton. Three piece guy. suit. Oh, there's the white haired family of Steve Martin. <laughs> With the older brother, we should have mentioned it. Uh, the older brother from, well, the only brother from Mrs. Doubtfire. That was him. Oh, wow. It is. It is him, yeah. Also in Boy Meets World. Well, what was oh, the yeah. name of the. They, they should have gotten what's the one more Matilda to be in her. She would have been like four years, three years old. Matt, Matt, like Maddie what's Wilson. Mara, Mara, Mara See, now, now this makes it look Mara like. Mara Wilson. It's Mara Wilson. It looks like he's like sexually thinking about John Candy instead of his wife. <laughs> <laughs> You just don't see, like, the massive erection he is hiding. Yeah. If you just cut out him laughing, 
and like interspliced it with like the white would just make it look like he's, he's choosing John Candy over her. Here's where the reveal comes. She finally puts the truth together and then goes, oh, wow, that's a shame. And it keeps going home. <laughs> that was the end. It just ends with still like, you know, him with his family intercutting the junk and then getting like food out of a vending machine. He's like, you know, I thought about it and I don't think his wife was alive. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, what about Bob when they think Bill Murray committed suicide? And like, well, let's not let that get us down. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good movie. I don't care what people say. I, I really it. like What About Bob. I, I like that movie, but my God, I've never watched a movie more times in high school than that fucking movie. They, they always played that gun in every subject. History class, science class, English, on the way to fucking D.C., I don't know. Did all the teachers just have what about Bob when they traded amongst each other? I don't know. I just it started by the fourth time it got really fucking old and I got really sick of it. First time I was like, this is pretty good. But then, so you would be against us doing that for the commentary. Yeah, yeah, I might. We're gonna do it for the commentary, but we have to watch it ten times. We're gonna do ten separate commentaries on it. I haven't watched it like Nine years, but like I, I've watched it enough in my life. Christ! <laughs> well, we just oh. talked over the most emotional moment of the whole thing. That's a recurring. That's a recurring theme with these commentaries. <laughs> Jake was very inconvenienced when he had to watch What About Bob more than once. Yeah, that's a recurring theme with these characters. We spent two thirds of the, or one third of the movie commentary talking about the movie, then two thirds making offensive jokes and talking about literally anything else. But yeah, no, this does look a lot like the Home Alone house. It's just like it's, I like it's about a like third, one, a third the size though, yeah, and you know it's what? like one block away. This is like this is very similar to the scene in Some of the Mask where. <laughs> Loki is outside, and they're outside here, and it really reminds me of that movie. Oh, look, it's the family we've never seen before. Oh, look, she's got a new husband already. <laughs> she's like, I thought you were dead. You haven't called in three days. John, like Candy thought that, John Candy thought that Steve Martin's wife was also dead, and thought they were going to bond over that, and the guy here was like, what? <laughs> oh, God. Who, who the fuck is this? Now, I will say this is, like, a good thing. It's, like, even though they have not shared any screen time together, even yet they're in separate shots, they might not have been on set together, You do, they did do a good job making you feel that he loved her and vice versa, that you feel that this is a very nice moment. Oh, yeah. Well, it works because it feels like sense. they're accepting him into the family, and that's where the emotion comes from. Well, I just meant even with Steve Martin that they shared, this is the first time in the entire movie they're on No, I, I know what you're saying. But it's like the act, the acting sells that. But ultimately, the reason the scene works is because it's not just about reuniting with the wife; it's about bringing him into the family. Yeah, that's why it works so well. Are you, tell, are you telling me, Jacob? It's about family. Good night, everybody. And I'm telling you, I've only seen one Fast and Furious. Movie. All right, all right. Here's his old face coming up. R.I.P. John Candy. Oh, look how that faded out. 
<laughs> we apologize again. Yeah, so one third was about Son of the Mask, one third was about the movie, and then the rest of it was talking about how shitty the version we watched looked. Mm-hmm. Which technically is about the movie, so that's two thirds movie. There we Wait, go. Michael McKean was in this? He was the guy from Spinal Tap like five minutes ago. Oh. <laughs> what, what, you think it was freaking um, Harry Shearer? Wait, he was Perry White? Yeah. Michael McKean. That's actually pretty good casting. Well, he was, he's married to Nat O'Toole who played, um, you know, Mark McKean. Michael McKean is married. No, no, Warren Beatty is now married to Anna Benning. That's a Nat O'Toole. Oh. Oh, Okay. I think it's in a net betting. No. Sorry. No, yeah, they've been married together for a long time. But uh, net betting and Warren Beatty. And Michael McKeon. Annette O'Toole. Yeah, I also love, for one episode of Boy Meets World, the two of them played Topanga's parents. And it was just very weird to me. Like, they would recast her parents, like, every fucking time they appeared. So, like, Peter, Peter O'Toole from the Monkees played her father once, and then they played their parents. And then the very next episode, they were played by different actors. It's like, <laughs> what? You could, couldn't keep it consistent for two weeks in a row? Probably couldn't afford them. Tarquin. What kind of name is Tarquin Gotch? Interesting. Tarquin. At least Tarquin Louis Fabre. It's a weird name. Yeah, Louis Fabre. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> If you want to get that reference, watch any of our Scooby-Doo commentaries. He's the guy who did the music for those movies, and we've just had a running joke for just, I don't know why we decide to make a joke about that, but we do. Yeah, why why him? Was there a reason? <laughs> I don't know. Do you have an opinion on this one, Jake? No. <laughs> no, I don't. Well, we'll have to ponder that, then. All right, everybody. Soundtrack well, album available. Ha- have a happy Thanksgiving. Well, hold on. We got to watch this scene after the credits. Oh yeah. Oh, where John Candy is revealed to be the murderer. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a shot of like the like dining room. Everyone's dead except for him. He's just covered in blood. And he's just talking to his dead wife. <laughs> all right, I did it. Like you said, hon, I killed them all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now we can go. He just walks out of the house. Real nice people. Really liked him. He's singing the Flintstones to himself as he walks out. <laughs> Flintstones. Meet the Flintstones. I just murdered a suburban family. He's singing it like a Cat Stevens song. <laughs> oh, Flintstones. Won't you meet the Flintstones? Steve Martin's hair designed by... So wait, what, what, just give me... By an act of God. <laughs> just like a boring white guy haircut. And then yeah, and they just gave him a haircut, that's it. Joe, just said his barber. Joe, Joe the barber. Boring, literal white guy haircut. Alright. Wow, credits are short. Yeah. No, man, no wall of text like you get today. Yeah. There's just for some reason like a couple dozen special effects technicians yeah, still just, It's like, where? Where was special effects? No 55 CGI artists with this one. 55? More like 555. Well, that's that's when you get to the, the visual effects artists. Oh, okay. Special thanks to Neil Page. 
Oh, now we're at the cast of characters after the special thanks. Del Griffith, Susan Page, State Trooper, Taxi Racer, Owen Joy, Marty Peg. Well, this shows you, though, how... Well, like, shut the fuck up, I'm relieving <laughs> Little Neo, Car Run, you made me skip. Martin, Motel Thief, Gus, Marie. Go ahead. Owen's wife, Candace. That's Bill Irwin. I assume that's not related to Bill Irwin from, like, Legion, right? And mm-hmm. How the Grinch Stole Christmas? I don't know. In Interstellar? You keep saying the names. All right, Wes, go ahead. What do you want to say? Can't remember now. Oh. What was I saying? We should watch The Phantom. Yeah. I love that movie. I'm oh. probably going to watch it before I go to sleep tonight. <laughs> I was going to say, um, though this shows you, um, like, you know, no, I lost it again. God damn it, Jake. You and your fucking phantom. <laughs> All right, everybody. Wait. Yeah, remember the character we saw for two seconds at the beginning and they made a joke about how indecisive he was? This is what we're going out on, folks. Did you even listen through the commentary for this? Did you just shut us off? All right, everybody, happy Thanksgiving, and um, see you for the Christmas reviews. Until then, we hope, you know, we hope your life is more long-lived than Jamie Kennedy's career, (laughs) or at least long-lived enough that you'll be able to hear the next commentary track. Good night, everybody. Say